Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good. All right. It's good. It seems a little, a little sleepy, a little quiet. It's all right. First service, no problem. <laughs> well, um, last week we um, we started uh, thinking about following Jesus in the digital age, and this is just um, something that I've been thinking about a lot over the last few months, and just really trying to wrestle with just in my own life realizing that digital technology and um, things like an iPhone and constantly checking email and Facebook and things like that, just what kind of way is that shaping my life and what way does it kind of shape our kind of lives, especially thinking about our spiritual lives and thinking about um, kind of developing wisdom and deeper faith in following Jesus and all of those types of things. And so um, last week we looked at um, the growing role of digital technology in our lives. And remember I had everyone kind of, if you had a digital device, hold it up. And in both services, there was an overwhelmingly larger number of people that had brought a digital device or two or or maybe three. I don't know if we got to three, but there was definitely people had had brought digital device with them to church. And it's just second issue, right? We just don't even really think much about it. You, in the morning, you leave the house, you grab your keys, maybe your wallet and your phone, and you just head out the door, and you just don't really think anything of it. And um, we've just gotten so used to digital devices, and especially being connected um, to the internet and to our email all the time. And I just wanted to kind of take the last week and this week and just think a little bit about how is that influencing us, how we think, how we kind of pattern our lives, and the kind of rhythm that we live our lives is changing because of digital technology and the different things that are happening in that arena. And so one of the things that we looked at last week was two visions or two images of how to live life. And you remember one was taken from the Old Testament and one was the, um, the, the image of the tree from Psalm 1. And the image of the tree from Psalm 1 is really... Um, the idea of being rooted and grounded in the Word of God. Rooted and grounded in the Word of God, where you're putting down deep roots into the Word of God and who God is. And it's the image of being constantly nourished, constantly fed by the river that is right beside the tree that is growing. And this idea of being constantly sustained by God and by His Word and also um, having leaves that don't wither, constantly having life and vitality, constantly being able to prosper because our lives are being rooted and grounded in God's word, and then also bearing good fruit and bearing fruit in the appropriate season of our lives. And so that was one kind of healthy image of how to live life from the Old Testament. And then we looked at another image of a wave being tossed around in the, in the ocean, and this idea of being blown back and forth and a lack of stability and a lack of substance and just how, you know, that's presented in the first chapter of the book of James in the New Testament as a kind of unhealthy way to live your life where you're constantly being influenced by lots of different opinions and lots of different people. And there's a lack of substance and a lack of depth. And um, I kind of presented to you this idea that um, in the digital age, especially with the Internet and constantly being wired and connected to, to each other digitally, that... Um, you know, our current kind of society and the track with all of that is to push us to a, to a James chapter one kind of being blown around and distracted type of lifestyle. So, um, so that's kind of what we were thinking about. But before we move on and think a little more, I want to share another story with you um, from the Gospel of Luke. And it's another way to kind of think about this whole area of life. So let's talk about Luke chapter 24. And I just want to set the scenario for you. It's the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. 
And um, I don't know if you remember this story, but it's two followers of Jesus who, it's the, mo- it's the day of the resurrection. And so Jesus, at this point in the story, we know Jesus has risen, but nobody has interacted with Jesus yet. Nobody has seen him, and nobody knows where he is. But people are beginning to think Jesus has risen. And so I just want to read this passage to you. And it's Luke 24, verse 13 to 32. And just think about this is the first time that Jesus kind of interacts with his disciples after he's risen from the dead. Now, at that time, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And what they're talking about is is the resurrection itself. They're talking about the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And they're really kind of, I mean, that is the current news in Jerusalem at the time. And as they talked and discussed these things together, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, so it's not clear in this passage why they don't recognize Jesus. But the main point here is that they don't recognize Jesus' presence right with them. They just do not recognize Jesus is right there. And so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And uh, they stood still, their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. And we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He replied to them, How foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So that's a really amazing passage of scripture. And um, I find it incredible that um, we have two disciples, two followers of Jesus, who are just consumed with the, the news of the day. They're consumed with the latest news, which is that Jesus, they think, has risen from the dead, but they don't really know the details. There's, it's like breaking news. And we're used to breaking news, right? 24-hour news cycle, there's constantly breaking news all the time. And this, for them, was the latest news, and they're not sure what's going on. There's a great deal of uncertainty. And in the midst of them trying to figure this out, they're walking along, they're going back to the village, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus himself comes right up to them and they don't recognize him and then Jesus continues to walk alongside of them he interacts with them as they're thinking about and processing all of this latest news and Jesus is right there he's speaking with them he's walking with them 
Um, Bible scholars would give anything to know what Jesus said as he went through the entire Old Testament and revealed all the passages about who he was. People would give anything to hear even five minutes of that conversation. Can you imagine Jesus is sharing about himself to these two disciples? And he shares and he shares. And Jesus is just with them. They're right there. They're walking along. And they don't recognize him. They don't recognize the presence of Jesus right with them. And it's not until they sit down together that they rest and that they begin to eat a meal together, that their eyes are opened. And I think for us, the parallel is we can live our lives and Jesus is right there with us and we just don't recognize his presence. Jesus can be speaking to us and we don't hear his voice because we're so distracted and crowded out by all of the voices that compete for our attention, for all of the latest news from everything that's happening in our lives. And it's only when we take those moments and we sit and we are maybe in a place of greater rest or maybe we're in a place where we're better able to receive that we act, our eyes are opened and we see Jesus at work. And we might say, it seems like Jesus is only present when I really am in, in, in a moment of crisis. Or it seems like Jesus is only right there and speaking to me whenever I can you know, act, act, really actively engage him. And for some of you, really actively engaging Jesus might be like this might be the only time in your week when you feel like that happens or you purposefully take time out of the rest of your schedule and you kind of focus on God and Jesus a little bit more directly. And I would say that, you know, for many of us, it's kind of this constant interaction with our email and Facebook and the Internet. That's one of the major, it's not the only source, but it's one of the major ways that we kind of allow different voices to speak to us in our everyday life and throughout the week. It's one of the major ways in which there's just a lot going on in our lives and that can kind of cry out that presence and that voice of Jesus. And so, so, so throughout kind of church history, from the earliest days of the church, Christians and those who follow Jesus have had to really figure out how do you follow Jesus? How do you walk step and step with him Day by day, how do you do that and how do you turn away from distractions? Because we, we know our lives are busy and there's lots going on. But it's not as if the earliest followers of Jesus had nothing to do <laughs> and were just chilling all the time. And they had, they had just incredible things to work through themselves. You know, some of them were actively persecuted and hunted for their faith. Um, they were living lives possibly as slaves or, or household servants. And they were, their lives were incredibly busy and full. And it's just this sense of which there's always been this need, even from earliest times, for people who follow Jesus to be able to make space in their lives, to be able to find room to follow him. And what's kind of developed over the history of the church are what are called spiritual practices. Spiritual practices. And these are practices that allow us to create um, essentially what's what you could call sacred space. Sacred space in your life. And so the question this morning is how do you make how do you make sacred space in your life? How do you make that room in your life so that you can kind of take those times to rest and to um, hear from Jesus and to spend time in his presence. How do you, um, you know, to think about the analogy of the tree again, how do you put down, how do you actively put down those deeper roots 
into God's word in your life? How do you go about that? How, what does that look like for you? And throughout the history of the church, these different things have been emphasized, different ways have been emphasized to really put down those roots. It's reading scripture, it's praying, spending time um, alone, spending time in prayer, spending time uh, with others as well. It doesn't have to necessarily just be by yourself, but it's spending time that's focusing on how do I create that space in my life to put down those deeper roots? How do I turn from distraction and how do I live a life that allows me to go deeper into knowing God's word and to knowing who he is? It might be um, saying, uh, um, taking, you know, a vow of silence or a period of time where you're not, where you're actively not speaking and you're focusing on hearing both from other people and from God. It might be fasting. Um, and some of these things are, are, are areas that Cameron has talked about, Pastor Cameron has talked about already this year. But creating space, um, that, this kind of idea of creating sacred space in our lives is just time where, where we allow God to come in and really shape us and to make us more like Jesus in, in our emotions, in our thought life, in our actions. It's time where, where we're shaped so that we can really grow in wisdom and maturity. And growing in wisdom and maturity is like that tree putting down deep roots and creating this sacred space and really driving away as much as possible distractions allows us to develop strength and perseverance for the difficult times in our lives when maybe you know hope is deferred or maybe... Um, it feels like sin is victorious in your life, or maybe it seems like death has the final word, and you're really struggling for hope and you're really struggling for strength. Creating those times of sacred space to put down those deep roots gives you the, the strength that you need for those times so that to think about the image of the tree, that your leaf does not wither, that there's always the leaves are always green in your life no matter what the season Creating the sacred space in your life, driving away distraction, molds us to grow in our love and our devotion to God and to others so that we produce good fruit in our lives in the appropriate seasons. And so the question is, in what way are you creating the sacred space in your life? In what ways are you really putting down those deep roots? And again, I think that there's a lot to do with kind of our current lifestyle and just the busyness of how we live our lives that makes it difficult to do that, makes it difficult to come in and to get away from distractions and to be single-minded in pursuing God. The reality, though, is that, you know, the flip side is that digital technology, the Internet and all of that, it's not inherently bad, but it's also not necessarily inherently good. You know, it's a tool that we use in order to help shape our lives. And I think the key is knowing how to use all of this technology in order to help be healthy influence in our lives and to help us get to where we need to be in terms of following Jesus. And so I think that for many of us, even if we don't like digital technology, even if it's not a huge role in our lives, it probably plays at least some role in our lives. And for many of us, we actually like a lot of what it brings us. We actually like a lot of the ways in which it helps our lives, and we feel like it does in many ways enrich us. And so even, you know, we wouldn't even want to get rid of it, even if we had the choice. For many of us, we don't. It's email, and it's, you know, all of this is just part of work. Like, we need the internet, we need to be connected as part of how we live our working lives. 
And so the goal is thinking about how do we um, shape our lives, including digital technology, including all of these different ways, so that we can um, find appropriate ways to bring both together. So I want to just talk a little bit about, um, as we move on this morning, thinking about some different ways in which digital technology really influences our lives and different ways that we can start to think about you know, bringing digital technology together with how we follow Jesus. And first of all, I want to tell another story. And um, this time it's the story of a writer called William Powers. So William Powers is a writer. He lives on the East Coast. And um, uh, he's, um, I don't know if he's writing from a faith perspective or not, but um, he's, he's simply finding in his own life that he was so connected to the Internet all the time, connected with other people all the time, that he really found that it was just invading into his kind of personal space too much. And he really found it was affecting his, his family life as well. And so he kind of tells a story in this book of how... Um, you know they would have they would have meals together. So at the end of the day, you know he's he's um, married. He has he has a son, and so they would come together and they would eat dinner, and um, they would kind of hurry through dinner. And at the end of the meal, you know his son would say something like, "Oh, I got to go um, uh, check on something," you know. And so his son would disappear, and then they would see him like three hours later, you know, uh, instant messaging or you know looking something up online, and he was just kind of gone for the night. You know, he was he was kind of in this digital world. And, uh, you know, a couple of minutes after his son would leave the table, his wife would be like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm waiting for this email to come in. It's really important for work, so I need to just go and check my email real quick. And so then, you know, same thing. She's gone for, like, the rest of the night. And so he would find himself often, you know, thinking about the fact that, you know, his family lived in the same physical space, but most evenings they were in these completely different worlds. And he said it was a really bad sign when they would start emailing each other about things across the house. <laughs> And he said that's the moment when he knew something wasn't quite right. He's like, it's like when it's easier to send an email rather than get up and walk across the, the house in order to talk to someone. He said that's when I realized something wasn't quite right. And so he, he starts to think about how can we in some ways win back our freedom from, you know, because he felt trapped by digital technology. And I don't know if you feel that way. Some of us may feel that way. And we talk a lot in our church about freedom. And we talk a lot about living lives that are victorious and lives that are marked by freedom. And for some of us, this might be a real problem where we just feel like we're so connected all the time where it doesn't feel like we live in freedom. It feels like we don't have the freedom to kind of set aside digital technology and its influence in our lives. And so for him, what he came up with was this what felt really radical for him. But every weekend, they initiated what, was, what he called a digital Sabbath. And so on Friday evening... Right before he went to bed, he went over and he turned off their, uh, their wireless connection. He turned off their internet connection. And they would live that way all of Saturday, all of Sunday. And then he'd waken up Monday morning, first thing, flip the internet back on and jump into his work week. And he said at first it was horrible. He said it was so bad. He said they would like, you know, it would be like Saturday morning and they'd be trying to plan their weekend. They'd be like, oh, uh, let's go watch a movie. He's like, okay, what movies are showing at what times? Oh, man, we don't buy newspapers anymore. We have no way to find out when the... And he said they would walk into town and try to find that information. He said it was horrible. And so he realized just how connected he was, how absolutely dependent he was on the, on the wireless technology and the Internet. And so then he, he said after a couple of months, it actually became like a minor inconvenience. So on Thursday and Friday, they would start to plan and anticipate their digital needs and their information needs for the weekend. 
And the reason that they started to do that is they really came to love the space and the freedom they had over the weekends. And after, he said after about six months, he's like, it would be like Wednesday or Thursday. They'd just be buried in the middle of their work week. And they were like, I cannot wait for Saturday morning so I can disconnect. They said they just could not wait for it. He said uh, one week in particular, his wife was um, just really needing to get a ton of work done. And she had told him earlier in the week, she said, I think I'm going to have to, I think I'm going to have to work through the weekend to get this project done. He was like, well, okay. He's like, you know, we normally don't do that, but if you feel like that's what you've got to do, he's like, we can make an exception. So he said Friday night, you know, he goes to bed and uh, she's, she's working away. And then they waken up early the next morning and he goes over and the internet is turned off. And he says to his wife, he's like, what, what happened? And she's like, I just stayed up all night. She's like, I stayed up all night to get my work done because she's like, I did not want to be connected over the weekend. And it had that much of an effect on them. So for some of us, that might be totally out of the question. There's just no way we could ever turn the internet off for a weekend. But what does a digital Sabbath look like for you? Could you, after 9 p.m., could you have a digital Sabbath in your house where it's like, all right, for the rest of the evening, or maybe it's 7.30, or maybe it's 8 o'clock. Okay, for the rest of the evening, we don't need to be online. We don't need to be checking email. We don't need to check Facebook. What does that look like for you? Does it look like maybe it's a room in your house that's a digital-free room? There are ways that you can kind of think about this and create some of this sacred space in your life that you're not so connected. Another uh, area that kind of digital technology shapes us that I think it's important to be aware of is just reading patterns as well. So most of us grew up reading, learning to read by, you know, reading a book. Sounds obvious, right? Reading a book, reading text printed on a page. Well, when you think about reading a book, there's a certain way in which you read that that's very, very different as to the way that you read a web page or a website. And so we kind of have trained ourselves to read web pages and to read website and to read things on a screen by scanning. And like we don't really read, we just kind of scan through. And what that's doing is kind of training us to just become very, very surface in our reading styles. And for certain things, that's fine. Where it really can become a problem is when we want to really get into God's word it can become difficult because we kind of scan God's word, kind of looking for the highlights and looking for the keywords and the links and stuff. And, and God's word doesn't really operate that way. It's designed to be meditated upon. It's designed to really be just for you to kind of soak in it rather than skim across the top. And so that's just you know, something to be aware of. Even if you know, you're reading the Bible on your iPhone because you have the free Bible app that you've downloaded and you know, that's just how you mainly access the Bible now. But even if you're reading on a screen, to be aware that reading deeply is still really important. Another major way that the kind of digital technology, especially social media, influences us is, um, is, there's a, is just in our relationship of how we perceive ourselves and then how we perceive others. And so there's growing numbers of studies that are showing that when people use Facebook a lot, they feel worse about themselves instead of better. And so the reason for this is even if you have a moderate number of friends who update and post every day, there's a really good chance that somebody out there is having a better day than you are and they're talking about it, right? Um, There's a good chance that somebody is having a dinner or a meal at a really nice restaurant and you're heating leftovers in the microwave. There's a really good chance that somebody's visiting some exotic place in the world that you've always wanted to go to. And generally, we can kind of feel like day after day, it's this drip feed of like, wow, everyone else has a better life than I do. Everyone else 
it seems to be more important and interesting than I am because I don't feel like I have anything to say. And, you know, for some of us, that's okay. We don't even think about it. But for some of us, it's, you know, for others, it's really difficult to go and interact with social media every day because it's just this confirmation of, wow, I, I don't really measure up and I don't really have what it takes and I don't, you know, I don't really feel that loved. And, you know, Facebook's just kind of confirming that day after day because, you know, someone's cat is really amazing and I don't even have a pet. And so it's just, it just becomes difficult. And the other thing that happens is some people, Facebook becomes like their diary. And I think we can all think of people where it's kind of the opposite extreme, where some people feel like, you know, they have nothing to say. And that's difficult. But for other people, it's like Facebook is like the place where they vent about their kids or, or their spouse or their job. And it becomes like their release valve. And there's just way too personal information that's out there. You know? And then it gets worse because other people try to help uh, by replying to, to the status update. And then just like the snowball that you're like, please make it stop. Uh, and I think we've all seen that. And again, it's the other extreme where it's, okay, we need to figure out some of the boundaries here of how we use social media. Um, and so it's really changing the, con- the concept of friendship and the concept of how we think about relating to other people. And we all know, I mean, we've all done this, right? It's easier to put a Facebook status update to tell all your friends at once what's happening rather than pick up the phone or you know, contact them directly and tell them this really cool thing happened to me. And so it's changing and it's shifting how we understand ourselves and how we relate to other people. And this is important for the church as well because, you know, it's changing our idea and our concept of community and what it is to really live lives in relation to to each other and what it is to to be there for each other and what it is to support each other. And so, um, you know, this whole idea of friendship is changing and even the term friend and follow are taking on whole new, I mean, those words mean different things today than they did three, four or five years ago. And you know, these are just ways in which things are happening around us. Um, so those are just a few things that, you know, are important. And it's also important to realize that your digital life and your real life, they're, they're not two separate lives that you live. Like what you put online is, I mean, p- people kind of believe that that's a pretty accurate representation of who you are. You know, and I think for a while in the early days of the internet, we think, oh, it's okay, I can post put this up there or do whatever online, but people know that I'm really different than that and I'm being really funny, you know, but now people just, they expect that that's who you are. Like what you present online is who you are. And so, you know, the internet isn't really a place for us to necessarily hide our true selves. You know, people believe what they see online. You know, we all know the stories of employers who, you know, are looking at job applicants and, you know, somebody's in the running to get that job until the employer gets on their Facebook page somehow and sees that, you know, they like to do this or that, or they have this interest, or they put this comment, you know, or, you know, we've heard about school teachers maybe who lose their jobs because of something they put online, you know, athletes who, you know, get into trouble because they tweet, you know, during games and say really uh, dumb things. And so, you know, it's this whole thing of, it's real easy to fire comments out there, to like things and to follow things. But we need to have, I think, discernment in what we're following and liking and posting, because, we all will believe that that's who you really are. Does that make sense? Um, So those are some other, some things to think about, but digital technology gives us these amazing opportunities. And I kind of want to finish more in this um, vein this morning, because um, 
there are some dangers and some things that we've just talked about. You know, it's good to disconnect from time to time. There, you know, it's, it, we've got to be careful that we still know how to de- read the Bible deeply. It's really important that we understand, you know, how the Internet influences how we see ourselves and how we view others. But there are some really, really exciting things with the Internet. And, you know, if you're trying to find information, where, most often where do you go? You go to the all-powerful Google search bar, or if you have Chrome, you just type it right in there. But, I mean, it's amazing the influence that we've given to, um, to Google, just as a good example, in our culture. And they've done studies, you know, with, uh, with students, and, and they say, okay, they give them a topic that they have to research, and they'll just type in whatever that is, and they'll just go straight to Google. They give them a computer, and they just fire up the internet, go straight to Google. They'll get the first page of results, and they'll just look at the first first thing, and they'll just normally will just click right on that because they assume that's the most relevant information. If they don't find anything there, they'll go to the next one. And it's rare that people go past the first page in general. So in many ways, we're saying, you know, Google, you control information that comes into my life. And I kind of think about um, the Google homepage a little bit, or the search bar a little bit, like I think about stewarding money. Which is, when you look at you know, your bank statement at the end of a month, um, you can see what you value by what you buy and what you spend your money on. You can see what you value by what you write a check for, if you still write a check. You can see what you value by where your finances go. In the same way, you can see what you value by what you search for. In what ways do you want to be shaped? What information do you want to shape you? What information do you want to receive? And with Google, you have a, you've literally got a blank canvas, and it can be anything. So what do you want to know? In what ways do you want to be shaped? And the, the, uh, the, uh, the ways in which the Internet can shape us are just amazing. If you are passionate about, you know, um, ending, say, um, human trafficking, I mean, the ability for you within 30 minutes to find out more than you ever thought you needed to know about human trafficking is right there. You have access to more information than at any time in history, and it's only growing exponentially. If you are uh, really creative, the Internet just gives you unlimited opportunities to get your, your, your art, your creations out there. You know, YouTube, I mean... We, we know about YouTube sensations, right? And just these, these amazing videos that, that go viral. And sometimes they're really random, but sometimes there's real talent there. And just this whole idea of we can really start to share our lives and we can share our passions like never before on the Internet. We can find people, to go back to that analogy of maybe human trafficking, if we are really like, I want to find other people who are against this, who are local to me, or I want to find out what's happening nationally, or I want to find out what's going on, and I want to join with and partner with those people, people, you can do that online in a way never before. You can be connected with people all over the world. Um, If you, you know, many of us like to, you know, go to conferences and things like that, you know, and for a a number of years we would go to maybe like Toronto to go to conferences or maybe you want to go to to Redding, California to go to Bethel or whatever and you're like, but I could just never leave my job. I could never take a whole week or a weekend and those conferences always seem to be like a Monday to Wednesday. Who schedules those? I wish they were during the weekend. You're like, I just, I really want to go to these conferences. Well, now through through the internet, you can watch those whenever you want. You can watch them whenever you want. Go to YouTube and, fi- I mean, you know, fire up Bethel's music. There's so many worship 
videos and, and, and worship songs on YouTube. And there's just so much information that's there. So in many ways, it's what do you want to know? What do you want to learn? In what way do you want to be shaped? And digital technology can allow us to really grow in areas that we've never grown before. Um, do you want to you know, connect with people across the world? One thing that's been interesting as we've done all of these uh, trips to Japan is now we're Facebook friends with a lot of people from the church. And so we're constantly hearing about their lives through Facebook. That's amazing that we kind of have this level of interaction with them. And we, get, we feel like we get to know them throughout the year that we're not there. And then we see them again. And it's like we know what's happening. We know about their kids. We know about their, you know, we just kind of know about their lives. Um, if you've ever used Skype, it's just like, wow, this really exists. A free video call, you know? And it's just amazing, people across the world, that you can see them and you can talk to them for free. I mean, this is stuff that people dreamed about not that long ago that is current reality for us. You know, I have Skype on my phone and, you know, I can talk to my parents, you know, just using my... It's, Almost bizarre how cool it is. And just this ability to connect with people no matter where they are in the world is just amazing. If you, um, if you want to connect with other people, that's where the internet comes into its fullest. And so one of the big differences between television and the internet is the internet allows you to contribute. It allows you to contribute back. And so that's one of the huge shifts that we're seeing in our culture is the ability to harness the Internet, not just to receive information, but to also give out information. And I think that young people in particular understand they just inherently get the power of the Internet to share and collaborate with each other. And um, I kind of referenced this in passing last week, but there's incredible things that are going to happen, I think, in the next generation using the Internet to really share who they are and to share the message of Jesus, because it's just right there. It's just right there. You know, like if you, you buy a cheap camera, you have your phone. I mean, you can do whatever, right? You can make a video. You can, you know, just share it. And it's just these incredible opportunities for people to do things that they've just not been able to do before. There's all sorts of um, application, like apps and extensions and plugins that you can put into your web browser to help you manage your time online. If distraction is a huge deal for you when you're surfing the internet, you can put filters to like filter out all of the ads so that they just don't distract you. You can put filters to filter out all of the story links on either side of the page at the top where you can just see the real content that you want to see. There's lots of things you can do. You can have um, apps that will limit the sites that you go to. They'll limit the amount of time you spend online. Whatever way you want to manage it, technology itself can help you to make all of those um, just really practical ways to manage your time. Um, E-readers like Jill just got a Kindle within the last week, so she's super excited about that. And with traveling, you know, you can throw what, thousands of books in there and just carry it around. I mean, that's really, really cool. So there's just lots of really exciting things that are happening. And so my hope is that um, kind of where this perfectly comes together is in our pursuit of wisdom and putting down deeper roots into God's word, where that passion and where that energy lies in us, where that desire is in us, and where digital technology can help meet that desire for us to go deeper and to put deeper roots and to grow in wisdom and grow in God's word, where those two come together, there's like a real sweet spot there for just incredible growth in our lives. And so, in closing, the goal is to follow Jesus and to embrace digital technology in a way that allows us to grow and to really grow in wisdom and to put down those deep roots. That we're not saying no to digital technology and the internet and all of those influences in our lives, but we're learning where the boundaries lie and learning how we can use them and harness them to allow us to put down those deep roots into God's word 
and to give us wisdom in following Jesus. So let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to think about putting down deep roots into your word, into following you. And God, I just pray that as we um, think about what it is to follow you in, in, the, in the digital age, that you would give us discernment to turn away from distraction, to find that sacred space in our lives, God, to be able to focus on you, to be able to go deep into your word, into following you and understanding who you are. Help us, God, to use digital technology wisely, God, to be able to follow you and to be able to understand more about who you are and what you're doing around the world. And then in turn, God, to be able to participate in this story together and to grow in wisdom ourselves. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thanks.